assuming we're on the air again and we apologize for all the technical difficulties but let's go back to John 20 and verses 26 and 27 for a minute and after eight days his disciples were again inside and Thomas with him Jesus came the doors being shut and stood in the midst and said peace be to you and then he said to Thomas reach your hand, finger here and look at my hands and reach your hand here and put Put it into my side. Do not be unbelieving, but be believing. Jesus' body that he says in Philippians 3 that we will be conformed to, but not exactly how or to what degree, has characteristics of his crucifixion that he suffered while he was on earth in his body before he died and before his resurrection. We don't know exactly how that happens or whether he choose, chose those things or what he said. But I want you to look at what Jesus does with that. I want you to understand, basically, that Jesus turned those things, and I'm sure the crucifixion was not a pleasant memory for him. He obviously remembered it. And it wasn't a pleasant thing or a good thing that he remembered, but he turned it into something great. He turned it into victory. And he turned it into a reason to believe. And he turned it into something that glorified God. And maybe that's what is expected of us. Maybe these things that we experience or see or carry over from our life on this earth are going to be things that we see in a different manner. That things that are important to us now are no longer going to be important to us. In 2 Corinthians, Paul talks about his thorn in the flesh. And basically, he says in verse 8, concerning this thing that I pleaded with the Lord three times that it might, 2 Corinthians 12 and verse 8, three times that it might depart from me. And he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, most gladly, I will rather boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in needs, in persecutions, in distress. For Christ's sake, for when I am weak, then I am also strong. We need to think like Jesus thought and like Paul was admonished. In Philippians 2, 5, it says, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. And he goes on to, to list several things. Perhaps there are more things that we need to think like Jesus. Let his mind be in us because he turned something I believe that was very unpleasant and torture for him into victory and glory. And maybe we should think about turning those infirmities and thorns into the flesh into victories and glorious as Jesus did and Paul was admonished. What were some of the other characteristics that Jesus had? Well, he he ate fish, he walked through walls, he, did, he was known to his disciples and not known to his disciples. How were all these things, how did they come about? How did they take place? What, what happened there? We don't know. The Bible doesn't tell us explicitly. And yet God says heaven is a wonderful place. Heaven is a valuable place. It's something we should desire. 
and going to him is something we desire. Our system, after all, is a system of faith. And I, for one, in my personal view, choose to have faith in God that what he tells me is true, even though I don't understand all the details of how it is. But I'm going to tell you this. Both Mike and I have taught, as we study the Bible, we cannot ignore passages that upon simple reading tell us things that we may not like are things that we may not understand, are things that we haven't been previously taught. All of these things may change the way that we think, and we need to look at those things. But this is part of Bible study, and, and this is my message to you, that we cannot ignore these passages. We can look at them, and we can see what their implications are, but ours is a system of faith, and we may not understand everything that's here. He tells the rich man to remember. He expected him to remember. Our system and what we do on the other side is, is going to be very, very much dependent, I believe, on what we've experienced here in life, which is part of our getting there. Well, I know the first uh, objection is going to come from 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 40 and following where it says, our bodies will not suffer corruption. Uh, but look carefully here, and that no corruption is repeated several times in those passages. Look carefully here at what is said and what's not said. Corruption relates to decay and deterioration and not perfection as, w as without flaw. You know, but it tells us we're not going to have to deal with decay and death and, and the things that come with, with those things. And the point is this. Even that thought to me is so encouraging of heaven because at 73 years old, I can't do the things I used to do, Mike, when I was 21. And that is a great encouragement to me that I don't see myself decaying and coming to the point where I can't do things anymore. Which brings me to three points that I want to make about studying things like this. We do not know explicitly what our attitudes and thoughts are going to be. Just like the rich man, I think he was probably surprised at the additional knowledge he saw after death. We don't know what those memories are going to be like. We don't know how valuable they're going to be, but certainly he learned some things across death. Second, is God going to wipe our memories like a computer drive at the resurrection? Mike, I kind of doubt that. And third, I think he's going to give us knowledge and understanding of him that we cannot comprehend at this time. That that's going to change our attitude and our thought processes to more conform to his. At that point, I think some things that make us sad may not matter to us anymore at all. They won't be as important to us as, they, as we think they are now. At least it certainly seemed to seem that way to the rich man. Things that he thought were was important at the time he was in life were no longer important to him to the point that he wanted his brothers to change their, change their attitude and their action while they had a chance. Personally, I think this is what's going to happen. We cannot study the Bible and ignore in the implications of any scripture just because we may not like it or agree with the implications displayed there. This is a basic lesson, I believe, Mike, in Bible study, which is what's happening outside 
every day in churches in the denominational world. In 1 Corinthians 15, in verse 46 through 49, he says, However, the spirit is not first, but the natural, and afterwards the spiritual. The first man was of the earth and made of dust, and the second man is of the Lord and from heaven. As was the first man of dust, so are also those who are made of dust. And as the heavenly man, so are those who are also heavenly. And as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the heavenly man. Primarily that image of the heavenly man, I believe, in heaven is going to be spiritual. But it may also have elements of the physical. We are simply not told what the mix is. We are told heaven is a beautiful, wonderful, and desirable place, and we need to trust in God and his word about that. That is, after all, we are in a system of faith. He says in Hebrews 11, But without faith it is impossible to please him, for he who comes to him, to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. I cannot tell you, you know, basically... It would please me if I didn't look the way I do now. I'm not that pleasant to look at, Mike. Uh, I'm overweight. So if you believe you're, you're going to be fat and old when you get to heaven, I, I have one suggestion for you. Go on a diet. So think about what I've said, folks. Think about the fact that we're not told these things, but some of those passages do indicate things that some people find unpleasant. But I'll tell you, we don't know everything, and we need to have faith in God about it. And, Mike, that's my short message for today. Well, I appreciate it, Gary. You know, I, I don't know. I think you might have brought up some of the original point, topic about heaven, but I'm the one that interjected the idea that perhaps we um, might have some kind of carryover that the scars of this life, whatever it is that we have to overcome in this life to serve the Lord and to, that indicate our faith in Him, whatever that might be in our life, whether it's spiritual or physical difficulties, that those would not be infirmities in heaven. They would be actually a crown or a, or a, a, a high point in heaven. They, they would be they would our be glory. They're, they're, Christ... Christ's wounds that he suffered at the hands of his friends, as the Old Testament says, he turned are those his glory. They're they, not his shame. On earth they were shame, shameful. In heaven they're his glory. He turned them into signs of victory and glory for God. In, in fact, we see him in, even in, in uh, metaphor in the book of Revelation as a lamb standing that's been slain. He carries the, the mark in, in, in figurative speech in the book of Revelation as having been put to death, as well as a conquering hero on a horse, you see. So, so there is this uh, mixture of figures, and that's all I was saying. And I think I gave lots of good reasons that alluded to this possibility. Do I believe you have to think this to be saved? No. Can you disagree? Of course you can. But, but like you mentioned, well, you know, overweight or not, not too handsome, whatever the case may be, uh, I'm going to try to repeat what you said about yourself here. I won't <laughs> add any new insults to the thing. But on earth, that might be an insult. But what is that? It depends on the, your relation. Sometimes those things provide the fuel for Satan to conquer us. Lots of people will be overcome by Satan 
because they're not physically attractive or because they're balding or they're overweight or whatever the case may be. But in Christ, those same weaknesses, we would call them on earth, can be a means that when we reach the end of our journey and we've overcome through the power of Christ, they become a glory to us. And so Paul's suffering, wherever it might have been, his thorn in the flesh, God was saying, my power is made perfect in weakness, you see. And so there, there's a lot of evidence here. Now, <clears throat> I don't want to rehash all of that, the point I'm saying, and I think you're correct. I think sometimes we, we sing songs. I, I'm, I'm gonna, I am going to object to this portrayal of heaven, that, it, that somehow we're supposed to be looking forward to walking on gold streets and living in our mansion over the hilltop or whatever it might be. If your view of those figure, figures of speech is somehow a worldly carnal goal, and even the millennialists have made that true that we're going to receive a big mansion in Palestine in the millennium and you got to work hard so you can get that bigger mansion than somebody else in Palestine. Or you're going to be the, the, the potentate of some The governor state. of some big city yes. or whatever. This is, this is carnal. It's worldly. It isn't, it isn't looking at things spiritually. The other thing that I would say, so I'm going to object to that kind of view of heaven, that it really is just some kind of a, of a uh, earth on steroids, as it were. On the other hand, I would like to remind everyone, I, my analogy that I use, and I think it's probably appropriate, is that the next world that we're being prepared for to live in is probably analogous to us being prepared to live in this world in the womb. We know things from the womb. Uh, we, we, we have experiences in the womb from according to what science can tell us. I think even the Old Testament pictures uh, are this, as well as the new when uh, John the Baptist, as, an, as a fetus, leaped in the womb when Mary came into the room, you see. So there are some experiences going on in the womb, and we're being literally prepared for another world. How much of that new world can we really understand? Well, we can't very much, only glimpses. I, have, I, I think that what we're going through now in this world, as we might call it, we say this is the real world. Well, let me tell you, I don't think this is the real world in the sense that heaven is the real world or the next world. That's the real world that we're looking forward to. Now, I know those are, as my grandfather would say, highfalutin thoughts, but <laughs> the, the, you got to keep remembering. And I, I think that goes along with what you're saying, Gary, that that sometimes we can get ahead of ourselves. We're not open to learning anything new from the Scriptures. We have a preconceived notion. We have to let all the information of the Scriptures kind of seep in over time and, and alter our views of things and enlighten them rather than taking a dogma or a creed book or something like that or what our grandma said and making that the gospel. Anyway, I don't want to detract from what you said, but that, those, those would be kind of what I would add to it. Well, that's that's my point. Is is basically we we do plain, and that, that's the point of the show. We do plain and simple reading of the scripture. Uh, I've often said if I if I can impart to you some beneficial method of studying the scripture so that you can get what's in it out of it, I have done a far better job and better thing than actually just trying to tell you what it says. Yeah, just repeating the words as such. Yes. Right. You have to show people how they can read those words with some sense of understanding by fitting them together. Yeah, right. and, and just let's let's take that new Jerusalem that's that's shown in Revelation 21 and beginning in four, verse 14. And let me just read a couple of uh, some verses from it. 
It says, Now the wall of the city had twelve foundations, and on them were the names of the twelve apostles of, of the Lamb. And he who talked with me had a, had a gold reed to measure the city and the gates as well, and its wall. The city laid out as a square its length and breadth, and he measured the city with the reed, twelve thousand furlongs its length, breadth, and height, and equal. And when he measured its wall, 140 cubits, according to the measure of man that is an angel, the construction of its wall was of jasper, and the city was pure gold, like clear glass. Now, I don't, I don't remember gold being exactly like clear glass unless it's so thin you can it's see sh- through it. shiny or something. I'm not yeah, sure, yeah, the foundations of the wall of the city were adorned with all kinds of precious stones, the first foundation was jasper, the second sapphire, the third chalcedony, the fourth emerald, the fifth sardonyx, the sixth sardis, the seventh uh, chrysolite, the eighth beryl, the ninth topaz, the tenth uh, chrysophase, the eleventh jacinth, the twelfth amnus. The twelve gates were twelve pearls. Each individual gate was one pearl, and the city was of pure gold, like transparent glass. Now, I have a hard time actually picturing that city. All of those have All of those symbolic are meaning. And the truth is, Gary, we don't even know from our English translations exactly what some of those things are. minerals are being talked about exactly. there for sure. But, but he, that's but not the point he's making. The point he's making is this thing is valuable. It's beautiful and it's valuable. It's, it's been prepared. It's, it's not it's random. It's, it's beautiful. It's valuable. It's something you should desire. And so that's why he pictures a garden and a city and all the other things he pictures there because those carry um, meaning in the human mind as far as the message of, of security, safety, beauty, uh, power, being exalted, being above human, uh, human uh, conception and design. All of those ideas are present in this imagery. Now, to say that we're going to have literal streets of gold when all... He says all the elements of the earth are going to be melted and burned up in Second Peter 3 in the judgment day. So um, I know that this is simply a metaphor for what things would be like in heaven. Uh, now, now, you know, this brings up the whole issue of figurative language. But, but we've got to keep the main picture in mind. And I think this is what's partly missing from the modern mind a little bit is that we don't value the spiritual world to come or spiritual things. We value the material. We value things that will make us look better or feel better on the earth. We value being able to solve our problems here rather than realize that God is the hope and the problems of the earth can't all be solved. And so we have these human conceptions that have overwhelmed us in the modern age. And therefore, we're or else we're simply... We, we just don't want that. We want something here and now. And if it doesn't get us a value here and now, then we're not going to listen to it. Okay, And, and that's what a lot of modern Protestant churches are about. They're about, with the, with the lights and the sound systems, they're about giving people something now. They're about doing lessons, which I have no problem per se, in lessons on like finances and things like that. But if the gist of your gospel preaching is just how to fix things here on earth and how, how you can be happy here on earth, telling us how to be happy, if that's the gist of everything that you say, then you've really missed the point of Christianity. That it truly is a prosperity gospel. And so 
um, we, we need to be pointed to a better, a better time, a better place. And all I was saying, as someone who is handicapped myself, albeit not as much as other people, I realize, that I've had to put physical infirmities in their place. And my desire for a new body had to be tempered by what I saw around me. And the older I've gotten, the more I realize that my physical infirmities could have been one of two things to me. They could have been the stumbling block that kept me out of anger or whatever it might be from serving the Lord. Or they could be the catalyst that turns me to the Lord for comfort, strength, and hope, whichever way. But those physical infirmities that you may have, that I have, are not insignificant and to say that they're all just going to go away. And, and then you're left with this picture, Gary. You say, well, uh, I'm an overweight old man, you know, 70-some years old. Well, how are you going to be in heaven? We have people I've had to counsel whose babies have died. Are they going to be babies forever? Well, you know, I don't know how to answer that question exactly. Well, I know how to answer uh, it. Except the Bible simply doesn't tell us well, the answer to I that question. I can't give a Bible answer yes, per se. I yes. can give you some ideas. But once again, this life and all the things that happen here are preparation for the next one. And so, yes, maybe, maybe that is something that God's going to take into account. I simply don't know <coughs> all of the answer in that, in that situation. But um, hopefully, I think you're good to point us back to making this a lesson about Bible understanding and interpretation. And unfortunately, as we see all around us, a lot of people wish it weren't so, Gary. They simply do not want the message of what the Bible really says. So people have done one of two things. They've spent their time either ignoring the Bible or, or criticizing the Bible as one thing. Or else they've fashioned the Bible doctrine to suit their own carnal desires one way or the other rather than taking it for what it is. You and I, for whatever whatever faults we may have in understanding these things, I believe we're trying to make a sincere attempt to take the Bible as it is for what it says and adjust our thinking to that, not the other way around. That's difficult, and that, but that's the, only thing, that's the only thing you and I can call people to do, isn't it? That's, that's exactly all we can right. That's to do. Because they're going to stand before God on their own with this word, as, as you mentioned in John 12, to be judged by that. So we can point you to that direction. And I hope that you'll gather something from that rather than, uh, you know, just take everything we say literally one way or the other and, and then decide to throw away the Bible because you don't like what Mike and Gary say. I, I hope you wouldn't do that. I don't think you would. Well, it, it points us back to the passage that I, I have opened the show with on on probably a uh, number of occasions ad nauseum to some people is John 12 and 48. Jesus says, the word that I have spoken will judge him in the last day, talking to each of us, talking particularly to those who reject Jesus's words. So what does that really mean? What does that mean to us in terms of the judgment day? It means that we will be judged by the standard of what's in scripture not what we choose to believe or not what someone else told us, not what your grandmother told you, not what your father told you the Bible says, but what the Bible actually says. And so when, when 
the Hebrew in the Hebrew letter it says without faith it is possible to please him what what and what we must believe is that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him it means there's some diligence that has to be applied to the study of God's word to understand what he says yes and and that's the, that's what we're calling you to do on, the, on the, and that's what we're that's what we that's are exactly trying to call right. you to do that's exactly right well um, since we can come back to this but since we got off to such a, a stumbling start here today if you weren't with us at the beginning of the show we have all kinds of technical difficulties and don't expect this show to be recorded it's probably not going to no, appear I some of it you know I, I don't know what I can do with what I do have scraps of recordings here or there but probably not all of it but for sure but we couldn't get connected to the internet and then Skype wouldn't recognize our mixer and microphones and so we were scrambling for oh, 10 or 15 minutes trying to fix that never could until after the show had started uh, while Gary was talking I finally got it working somehow and that's the frustrating thing Gary I, it's like banging on your car and it, make, and it starts running again. You don't really know what the problem was for sure, but um, I'm going to use this as an excuse to get a new computer, I think. I mean, the, the ashtray's full on this one. You know how to say So I need a new car, as it were. Anyway, we can take calls now. And so let me give you the number, 772-340-1590 is the to reach weird description, 772 772- Three four zero fifteen ninety is how you get a hold of us. We'd be glad to take your calls this morning, either about what Gary's been discussing or anything else that's on your mind. We would also uh, be glad to take your text messages seven seven two two six zero six one two zero or seven seven two two six zero six two two zero. We'd be glad to take your text messages today, uh, and we would appreciate that. And there's a lot of other ways, and we'll try to talk about this here at the end of the show, about how you can get a hold of this, how you can listen to this show, and all of that. We'll do that toward the end of the show this morning. But if you'd like to join in with us, we'd be glad to have you today. 772-340-1590 is the number. Well, Gary, what other stuff you got here? I had a couple of other things that we could talk about Go in right a ahead. general way. Something I ran, two or three things. I, I got a whole stack of just little miscellaneous things some are scriptural perhaps some are how the scripture relates to culture but um, here's something from Maximus the Confessor I'm not sure who this is it's it's taken from 400 texts on love Philolachia the complete text and so this is an old old source and it's on the love of material wealth since we talked about the fact that some people and read the Bible as a way to get rich, make money. He says it's not so much because of need that gold has become an object of desire among men as because of the power it gives most people to indulge in sensual pleasure. There are three things which produce the love of material wealth, self-indulgence, self-esteem, and a lack of faith. And a lack of faith is even more dangerous than the other two. The self-indulgent person loves wealth because it enables him to live comfortably. The person full of self-esteem loves it because through, he, through it he can gain the esteem of others. The person who lacks faith loves it because fearful of starvation, old age, disease, or even exile, he can save it or hoard it. He puts his trust in wealth rather than God, and the Creator provides for all creation. And so here there are four kinds of men who hoard wealth, the three already mentioned and the treasure or the bursar. 
clearly it is only the last who conserves it for a good purpose, namely, so as always to have the means of supplying each person's basic needs. So he gets to the heart of a lot of issues that we have and have, men have always had about money, but we also have these in the modern day. I mean, we can read a whole dissertation from the third chapter of the book of James, fourth chapter on, third and fourth chapters on money and wealth and the woe to those who try to accumulate wealth. But <clears throat> the self-indulgent, there's so many people in our culture have taken over, Gary, with, with the idea that they have to live comfortably and self-indulgently. Nothing, we have seen this in this year. Uh, 2020 is not the year, maybe, maybe it's the year of the Great Reset, they're calling it, but I'll tell you this, it's the year of nothing bad can ever happen to me, that's for sure, and uh, th there it is. And that's the way most of us today live is nothing bad is ever supposed to happen to me or anybody that I like. And therefore, when something bad does happen, we are just going to set up a whale that cannot be stifled because something bad happened or might happen. Now, uh, I, I understand uh, we got a bad situation, but we got to also have a whole generation or two that's been raised with, with car seats and seat belts and nerf, uh, uh, nerfalized everything and bubble wrapped, and uh, nothing bad can ever happen. I don't know. This is brand new in human history. As a, this, that's the main thing that's unprecedented <laughs> about this problem is the way we've reacted to it, and that's because we're self-indulgent. And, and why, do you, why are we seeing such an increase in uh, addiction to prescription painkillers or to opioids or whatever or all the use of drugs in our lifetime? It's because of two or three generations of people, including my, my generation, including myself, is, is a, can have no pain. I've been suffering in pain with a back injury for a couple of years now, Gary, getting ready to go under the knife on Tuesday. Truthfully, I have to say, as indulgence, I'm sort of looking forward to him knocking me out on Tuesday for a while and um, having a little bit of feeling nothing. And then I realize when I wake up, it'll be a whole other story. <laughs> <laughs> but, but we're just, and I'm thankful that that's the case, that they can knock you out before they do things to you. Uh, but we live in a world where we don't want anything bad. And then there's the other, and that just causes people to be pushed and pulled in every direction altogether because of self-indulgence. And then there's this person full of self-esteem or the desire to be thought well of and uh, from other people. So he, he uses his money to gain status. That's why we can't just wear clothes. We can only have designer clothes, particular kind. Can't live in just a house. We have to make sure it's the better house than all the people around us has to be the upgraded with the latest things is because we often are trying to not only be self-indulgent, but we're trying to impress others with ourselves. That lets Satan into our life, and he gets to push and pull us however he wants to. And then there's that person who's fearful and lacks faith in God. So we want some money so it'll protect us. Now, I, don't, I thought that was, this, this is an old text, which tells me, that these same things that we see around us and in our own lives have been here from the beginning. And um, that's why the Bible says what it does about wealth uh, and, and, and money and, and so forth uh, over and over again. For you, I think you read recently, maybe it was on the show that we're going to play next week because I won't be able to be here, but uh, about 1 Timothy 6, about pe people piercing themselves through with many sorrows because 
not of money, he says, but the love of for money. For the love of money is, is a root of all kinds of evil, for which some have strayed from the faith in their greediness and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. Uh, that's that's basically First Timothy six and verse ten. You also have this reading in James 5. I think it said 3 and 4. But he, James mentions this subject two or three times. But here's the, one of the main ones, James 5. Come now, you rich. Weep and howl. Weep and howl for your miseries that are coming upon you. Now, who are the rich? Of course, as soon as I read that, most of us immediately our mind turned to someone else as being the rich. We're well, thinking of people who have one dollar more than us. Everybody else is rich. I'm poor. But, but what, what we, if we really were understood in terms of worldly wealth, uh, even some of the you know, lower middle class of us today have things that Solomon could not even dream of in all of his, no. in all of his wealth. Uh, all of these things are different. I, I, I'll chase a rabbit for just a second here, Mike. Going back to your first thing, I, even what I read today in, in 2 Corinthians 12, what Paul says about uh, his thorn in the flesh in verse 9, he says, And he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, most gladly will I rather boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in needs, in persecutions, in distress, for Christ's sake, for when I am weak, I am also strong. Paul says all those adversities and things he talks about, he says he, he glories in those. He says he takes pleasure in those because, in a sense, that shows Christ. Now, we may not understand exactly how that is, but I think it relates back to what you said earlier about all those things that we try to avoid, all the displeasures and discomforts and things like that that we want to do away with in every sense of the word. Paul couldn't do that. Right. As a matter of fact, he, he asked God, in, in, in concerning what Paul did for God in his teaching and the things he suffered, puts me to shame. Oh, yes. When you read about the Apostle Paul, there's everything to be admired. Now, I'll get chase another rabbit and say that's what I think his thorn in the flesh was, personally. I don't think the flesh there means he suffered some physical infirmity. I think it's Any particular one, he just suffered a I, lot. I, well, I just think, yes, I just think it's because he knew he didn't have to live this life. He had been a, a very much a part of the elite ruling class of Israel. One of the one of the very one of the ones he says above all of my fellows. He had that prestige. He, had that. That he could have kept it had he not become a Christian. He had that prestige. He could have had the wealth too. Well, that would come with it, but he gave it all away, gave it all up to be a Christian, and therefore Satan kept telling him in the back of his head, "You don't have to do this. You know what? This isn't fair. The Corinthians don't like you. you who are you, who are they to criticize you? You know this kind of thing." So this was his thorn in the flesh that he kept being reminded of over and over again. And the Lord had to keep, he had to turn to the Lord about this. And the Lord said, no, I'm not going to take it away. I'm going to leave it there because you need this. Because So you won't be, why, exalted over much or conceited. Now, he goes on in this thing in James. He says, uh, your riches are corrupted, your garments are moth-eaten, your gold and silver are corroded, and their corrosion will be a witness against you. You've heaped up treasure in the last days. So what he's saying is, 
you know, uh, in the long run, you have to realize that the, a person's wealth can corrupt them and will be corrupted. It'll all disappear, all go away. It, and he said rust. He, he, it's rusted and corroded, corroded away. It's a witness against you. You know, Gary, when I was a young man, you know, my, my brother, I'll give him an example. You know, he, uh, he, he wanted a, you know, a 68 Chevelle, that kind of car. Of course, he couldn't afford one of those, all souped up and everything. And uh, there was a few years in there when he could have went to the junkyard and found himself one he could afford, right? Right. Of course, it was rusted. And the rust proved that his that the desire to do give up everything to have that car was pointless. It proves that it's no good. You can get that car today for fifty, sixty, seventy thousand dollars, all restored if it's whatever the case may be. Maybe you can find something that's been kept in a barn, but it will still be corroded on some level. When you look at it, you will see when you get close. It's not. The plastic is cracked. What it says it is. It looks the paint, like it is the paint has faded. Time takes its toll on everything. And so for those who put their trust in this and who give up so much, give up relationships, give up the Lord, uh, become haughty around their neighbors, he says this is going to be a witness against you in the last days. In fact, he goes on to say in verse 4, Indeed, the wages of the laborers who, mow, who mowed your fields, which you kept back by fraud, they cry out, and the re cries of the reapers have reached the ears of the Lord of the Sabbath. And so he basically says he's going to condemn them for this. So when, the, when people who have something, when they heap it up to themselves and mistreat others unfairly, he's not saying everybody has to make the same thing, but he said they kept back this, their wages by fraud so they could keep more. That's why they're doing this, um, and, and therefore they're in trouble. Well, the, the Jewish leaders who didn't want Christ to be proclaimed the Messiah because they said the Romans will come and take away our nation and our place. They that were looking a, after a, their position of authority and wealth. Right. And they were very wealthy compared to the average person. And so we have to consider that. Now, in I think the United States, almost all of us are wealthy. We have, we have he says in 1 Timothy 6, the verse you referred to, Having food and clothing, we should therewith be content. Boy, that just condemns most all of us who have plenty of food and clothing and we are not content because we have more than we need. And once we begin, begin to have more than we need, uh, we heap it up to ourselves. We, are, we do not share. And therefore, God is going to judge us for that. So anyway, I'm, we're not really saying anything new here except the fact that material wealth is a problem that <clears throat> that we all have to address and I think a lot of people in the modern time are going to be lost over that and um, and it be because of their self-indulgence or because of their lack of faith in this case I had a fellow I dealt with one time who had a lot of money compared to most people that I knew he was an accountant and financial advisor he he did, dealt with money, but, you know, he, here, a case came up in a situation where he, some people that he knew really needed some help. They were in serious trouble because of medical bills and other things that had gone wrong in the family. They, they needed help, but he wouldn't help them because it wasn't in the budget that month. It wasn't in his budget that month to 
help. Yeah. I didn't have a good reaction to that, Gary. I can understand. I did that. not have a good reaction to that because who who set his budget? Who's in control? Is is the budget controlling him, or is he controlling his budget? Who who gave him the mo- enough money that he could budget it? Well, see, that's what plenty of money, but he was going to save it because, after all, I'm going to need this money. Where's his faith in God? Where's his faith in God to take care of him when well, he does what? You right? mentioned something there that I think we lose sight of. Why are you successful? Where does your success and your wealth come from, Mike? Uh, I, I can tell you that I, I had to come to a point in my life that it re- to realize that it it wasn't by my hand that I was successful. Even when you take into genetics the fact that you were born as an intelligent person into a good family. You didn't do that. I didn't do that. <laughs> no. Or, nor nor, nor did it, I set the circumstances where I could be uh, successful. I had very little control over all of those circumstances. God basically placed me where it worked. I, we don't have the knowledge to place ourselves in a lot of cases in, in those places. Uh, sometimes we make choices that are good, but sometimes we make choices that are very poor. Yeah. And, and I have to realize, and, and I came to realize at some point in, at one point in my life, that God had laid in my lap just about everything that I have. Yes. And I have to give him credit that, for that's, that. That's, how to, that's how, what all of us come to realize eventually. Now, now we have some to, something to do with that. God has laid, lays blessings in most people's laps that they don't take advantage of. But even, even for me, um, the desire, that the ability that I have had to make better choices than, than uh, uh, others in many cases, it's not because of me, it's because of people that God put in my life to show me this. Now, eventually, you still have to take a hold of it yourself. You bear responsibility for how yes. you use it. Uh, but but a lot of people are they're, they're more like Jimmy Stewart. What's that movie? Shenandoah. Well, that's an old one. Yes, I remember that. Movie. An old movie, and I guess it's uh, don't remember the exact context, but I his, think it was his prayer at the dinner table. Yeah, his prayer at the dinner table. The Lord, we we planted the crops, we tilled the land, we planted the crops. It goes to this whole big thing. We we uh, harvest, we cultivated them, we harvested them, we we plowed them. the land, we did everything. We but put it in we the barn. Give you thanks anyway. But we give you thanks for it anyway. Yes. Yes. And th- that now, now, that's sometimes how we can view Thanksgiving and so forth, that, that we uh, have that kind of idea. But we need to realize that when he talks about you rich and need to weep and howl for your miseries that are coming upon you, he, he's speaking to a whole lot of modern Americans, including many people who call themselves Christians. We just tend to always, we've been taught by our political system to think, always think of ourselves as poor. That's how they. That's how they get influence over us. They tell us all that we're poor, and they can help this poor man. And there's this boogeyman called the rich out there that's keeping you from doing something in America. Now I can see that in perhaps in ancient Rome or ancient Israel, but that really isn't true for most of us in the United States of America. There's some boogeyman called the rich man that's keeping you from going to the go, finishing high school, you know. Some boogeyman called the rich man is keeping you from getting an education or training in some trade. Some boogeyman called the rich man is keeping you from getting up and going to work on time every Monday so you can earn a salary. That's not the rich man doing that to you, you see, or or, or whatever it may be. Or we're or always the, continually, we, 
looking at the TV and being told we have to buy this, this, and this, and this to be help, uh, that we have to do, buy this, this, and this to be happy, and pretty soon we're broke. You know when I tell these people to call me wanting to save me money? I say, look, I appreciate what you're doing, but I've saved so much money, I'm broke. <laughs> I have just, over the years, I have saved so much money from listening to people like you that I'm, at, that I'm broke. And they look at me so funny, I think they get the point I'm making. <laughs> uh, well, it, it, <laughs> Whose fault is that, though? That is a, that's my fault. Or, or if they tell you if uh, basically it's, if it's not the rich man, it's the rich corporation. Yeah, corporate America. Corporate America. Gives almost every, all of us a job in one way or the other. Oh, right. You know. Forget that that's where the jobs come from. Oh, uh, we're, gonna, we're not going to tax you. We're going to tax the corporation without even thought to, well, who pays the taxes? Yeah. How does the corporation pay a tax? Well, it, it charges you it's for it in every to. product they sell to you. So you end up paying the tax no matter what. You know, that it's, it's, it's just one of those things <coughs> that people rarely think about, I think. Well, and, and we, we would could – I read to Gary that there is a – I'm getting into politics. But I, I don't want to – I'm not trying to diminish at all what he says in James 5. In fact, and 1 Corinthians 6. I think – not 1 Corinthians 5. 1 Timothy 6. 6. Beginning about verse 6 all the way down. But, but – uh, or I'm not diminishing. In fact, I'm trying to emphasize this. But most of us are the rich. So he, he condemns the rich here who would uh, be who would also be judged because they kept back wages by fraud from the laborers who mowed their fields and so forth. In other words, this is the kind of thing that we that how many of us have a lawn service today, or do have have laborers who work for us? Didn't used to be that. Back when I was a kid, everybody I knew mowed their own grass or paid me to, me and my brother to do it for two dollars, you know. But uh, that's how we made money. Also, well, when I was in high school, me and my friend were a lawn service. That's what we did. We mowed yes. people's yards for. Right. But everybody else has a professional lawn service now. And, and he says, in other words, the point I'm making is that all of us who have any kind of middle class existence at all often pay wages to other people or deal with people in business and and we try to sometimes swindle them hold back from them what's right or what's good for them to do uh, we, we refuse to give a waitress a tip because our she'll let our coffee get cold J just because we can and we have power and so those kind of things god's going to judge us for those that stuff because it's a part of a self-indulgent uh, lifestyle. So um, yeah, it, John here is texting about the fact that the Romans commercialized agriculture, turned all the little farms into giant farms, and put the farmers out. Uh, there's, there's the farming part I was talking about. The rich Jews would give loans to peasant farmers and wait until they could not pay and then take their land. Well, this is what was going on apparently at the in, during the Depression to some degree, too, in the United States. It's what goes on now. Thing, things haven't changed for the most part for, for thousands for, of years. For, on the part of some people. The, ba banks form an important part of any kind of society, and people need to be able to borrow money. But when terms are set and, and then enforced in such a way as just to take people's property by greed, then this is no good. Uh, I, I remember seeing this when, oh, back 
in the two early 2000s in Port St. Lucie here. I'm going to get in trouble. So brace yourself, Gary. This is Mike saying this, not Gary. I remember dealing with a lot of people moving into this area. They'd come to the church here back from 04, 05, 06, okay? And I would see them. They were a single woman working at the hospital or something like that. Had a regular, not a very high-paying job in my view. And I'd go, go visit them. And they're living in a huge, brand-new, huge house down here in Port St. Lucie somewhere. Their first home ever. And I was happy for them. But looking around, I'm thinking, well, you just told me where you work. I can't figure out how you're going to pay for this. Because I knew what houses cost. Turns out they couldn't. Turns out they couldn't. Somebody had said it's discrimination for you to not give these people loans, even though uh, you've got crit- the banks had criteria for giving people loans. And it's obvious these people couldn't meet that. But because, you know, their skin color, they were had to be had to be given a loan now who did that benefit well it benefited the banks that then foreclosed on the houses and took over the property at least in the long run didn't benefit those people that they were quote unquote trying to help because then they were out of a house and now they got a big black mark on their credit so who was taking advantage of who well i'm not sure there except that greed plays a part in all of this kind of stuff and it goes in every different direction. And, and we need to be careful that we don't become a part of that ourselves, trying to take advantage of other people as we deal with them. Well, we've gotten far afield, Gary. I've got a couple minutes left. I do want to, unless you want to make one quick comment that I want to do, talk to people about how to get, uh, get a hold of the church here and so forth. Um, I mentioned you normally can call in this show. Next week, the plan is I'm not going to, be able to do the show live so we've got a recording next week won't be a live call-in show but you can still text us anytime 772-260-6120 or 772-260-6220 or you can email us if you'd like to email us anytime during the week uh, is just christians at att.net just christians at att.net now a lot of people uh, like to listen to the show uh, but they can't listen on the on the radio, so you can listen on the computer. Just go to WPSL.com, click on the Listen Live button. It'll take you right to the show when we're live. That's at 9 o'clock Eastern if you're not listening to this show so, from somewhere else. Or you can listen on TuneIn Ra- the TuneIn Radio app for WPSL, uh, the Alexa, all your Alexa devices, all your Google Chrome. All these devices get WPSL, and you can listen to the show when it's live there. And you can get our podcast at We Are Just Christians. WeAreJustChristians.com You've been listening to We Are Just Christians live from Savona Church in Port St. Lucie with your hosts Mike Schmidt and Gary Jones.